Amen, amen. Would you just stand with me to your feet one more time? Are you enjoying the worship this morning? Would you just lift your, your hands with me one more time? Amen. He, he's here. Father, we just love you this morning. We just welcome your presence. Father, we commit this time that we have to you this morning. I I thank you for everything you're already doing in this service and everything that you're going to do, Father. And uh, our hearts, may our hearts be prepared, Lord, to receive your word. I just pray over these next few moments that we have together. God, let your word go forth in truth and power, God. Open our eyes, Lord. Let us see a glimpse of something. Let us receive something that you have for us this morning. And Father, but more than anything, We just want to say that we love you and we want to thank you for being so good to us, Father. In your mighty name we pray. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen, amen, amen. And before you're seated, would you greet someone next to you and just say, it's good to see you in the house this morning. Good. And you may be seated. We want to welcome our online audience. No matter where you're watching from, we're honored that you'll join us. Come on, can we get a a hand clap to our online audience? Uh, We want them to feel as much a part as if they were here. We understand there's so many different reasons why you uh, different ones can't be here or are far away, but we welcome you. Leave a comment below. Let us know where you're watching from. Good morning, Inspired Church. It feels good in here. And uh, I'm, I'm going to jump into the word in just a second. And I'm, I'm so excited uh, to, to be able to bring the word this morning. But as you guys know, we are a uh, not just a local church, but a global church. Amen. And we are connected with so many incredible ministries across the country and the world. And one of those ministries is the uh, Ambassadors for Jesus Christ Motorcycle Club. And they're all over the U.S., but they also have branches in Europe. And uh, right now, I want to invite Marcus to come. He is the leader of the Germany branch. And they're all here today, all the way from Germany. And I want Marcus to come say hello and and just share a few things with us. Sorry to take that one. Um, My name is Hammer. I'm the European President of the Ambassadors for Jesus Christ Motorcycle Ministry. And I probably would not be here if you as church would not pray for us and support us since 1999. I'm so thankful for that. I'm really honored to be here and have some minutes to talk. Um, You may know our founder, Hollywood Joe who was a part and a minister here at that church. And we really, really appreciate what you do and how you support us. Without you, we could not be in Finland, in Sweden, in Austria, in Germany, in Switzerland, Australia, Canada, and the U.S. It's your prayers to support us that we reach people in the biker scene to become known to the Lord. Um, I have prayed personally for a friend of mine for 10 years. And in April, he gave his life to Jesus. 
Beginning of June, I was able to baptize him. And within 35 years of being a Christian, I have not seen somebody growing so fast in the Lord and reaching so many people. It's unbelievable what God is doing in this time. This is a challenging time, yes. But if we cling together in unity, we can reach the world and we can change the world. You all remember Babel, when they tried to build that building, then God said, if they are uni- unified, they can do everything. The only unity that Christ knows is the unity between the Father and Him. And this is the unity we have to strive for as Christians, no matter if they look this way or they look that way. The unity we have in Christ is what is important. Otherwise, we can't reach the world. Otherwise, we can't reach the souls. Guys, we're living in end times. I'm sorry to say that, but let's plunder hell and populate heaven. This is what is on my heart, and I'm so thankful for what you did, for how you support us in prayer. We need that. We are going into the dark places. We are invited to the 1% of clubs on their parties. They want us to come to bring peace, to bring peace. Because we are sons of God and bringers of peace. And without your prayers, we can't stand in there. We need your prayers. I'm so thankful that you join and partner with us. And I believe the connection here is going to go way farther. We have now also connections of a branch we have in Germany. In a town where I used to live or close. And it's so glad that we can connect the church and the ministry globally. And that's so, wow, thank God. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise for what he's doing. As a matter of fact, um, he's got several uh, with him in the ministry. Would you guys all just stand so we can see you? Uh, Inspire Church, would you just extend your hand over there? And so, Father, we just pray that you would bless everything that you uh, have given them, everything they set their hands to do for the kingdom. Father, we thank you, God, for incredible open doors. We thank you for revival in Germany and in Europe and in some of the the darkest places in the world spiritually. Father, make them, uh, Father, just ministers of a fire of your love and your power in that nation and that continent. And Father, we're thankful for their lives. We bless them in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said, amen. Amen. So good to have you here. And I have, I have a personal, just... I, traveling to journey, uh, Germany for ministry over the years, I have a personal affection for that country, and I believe God has great things. The Reformation came out of that country, and that country has a rich history and legacy, and I believe that God is not done with Germany. Amen? Amen. So if you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of John, chapter 2? John, chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 11. <clears throat> but before we read... I just kind of want to preface what I'm going to speak on today. How many of you have been enjoying our series on miracles? Hasn't this been phenomenal? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Hasn't this been phenomenal? What God's been doing in our church over the past few months is 
We've been experiencing just a move of the Spirit, His presence, and now we're in a series on miracles. It's, it's been phenomenal. And, and Pastor's been in a vein, and even when I spoke a few weeks or about a month ago, we've, we've been in this vein where we're talking about how deeper worship creates atmospheres for miracles. Amen? How many of you believe that? And it's the, the reason is very simple. Where there is authentic and genuine and deep worship, The presence of God manifests himself. Amen. And then how many know when God walks in the room, when when God manifests himself, nothing's impossible. So it's actually really simple. Whenever we engage God in deeper worship, deeper worship, miracles happen because God shows up. Amen. And so we've been talking about that. And pastor, when he gets back, I believe he's going to pick up part two of what he talked about last a uh, couple of weeks ago. It's going to be powerful. But today I want to stay in that same vein. I want to talk to you today about miracles. But I want to speak from you, uh, speak to you from the subject of miracles and the goodness of God. Someone say the goodness of God. Come on, say it like you had some breakfast on the way here. Say the goodness of God. If you're like me, you just scarf down two kolaches in between services. So I got some energy And, uh, you know, I'm really honored to bring the word. And I want to say this. I was thinking about miracles this week. And, you know, the body of Christ is big all across the world. There's billions of Christians now. And, of course, like like, uh, Brother Marcus was just saying, God wants his church to be unified. Unfortunately, you know, we still sometimes are divided. And you have this denomination and that denomination and that denomination and this and that and and although we believe a lot of the core things, there are, there are many Christians who don't even believe that God does miracles anymore. There are even many theologians that would try to tell you that God's done with miracles. That, that was Old Testament, New Testament. And some argue that after the first century, God stopped doing miracles. But I'm here to declare to you today that God still does miracles. And sometimes, you know... I, you can argue something theologically, but when you've had an experience, when you've had God do miracles in your life, when you've seen miracles, it's hard for people to talk you out of them. Amen. And so I'm believing that, that one day the entire body of Christ will believe and experience the supernatural power of God again, because our God works miracles. And but you know, I was thinking about it this week and I thought, Just by definition of being a Christian, right? If you're a Christian, that means you're born again. If that's a Christian, if you're a Christian, that means uh, you have received Christ and have a new life. And I thought just by definition of being a Christian, you're admitting to believing in miracles. Because think about it like this. The Bible says that you were dead in your trespasses. The Bible says you weren't looking for God. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses. The Bible says you and I, we were dead in our sin. We were slaves to sin. We were bound by sin. And he saved us, transformed us, gave us a new heart and a new life. And and you see, by that definition, you're already admitting to miracles because I don't know if you've, you know, I I know I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to realize people don't really change that easy. And I know some of us could say, Hey, if you had run into me 20 years ago, I was a different person. 
If God can resurrect us from the dead, literally, spiritually, resurrect us from the dead, give us a new heart, change our desires, save us from sin. How many of you can look at yourself now and say, I am not the person I was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. That's proof that God does miracles right there. You're the greatest miracle. You don't believe in miracles? Look in the mirror. Look what God has done. And so my contention is, if God can save you, if God can clean your heart and change your ways, what makes you think he can't do a miracle with your finances? If he can change your heart, he can do financial miracles. If he can change your heart, guess what? He can heal bodies. If he can change your heart, he can mend families and bring breakthrough and part seas. How many of you are with me in the building today. Just by being a Christian, you are a miracle. (laughs) Come on, somebody. And I want to talk to you today about the connection of between miracles and the goodness of God. John chapter two, verse 11. If you're there, say there. It says this. John has just recorded the first miracle of Jesus's ministry. Jesus goes to a wedding and he turns water to wine. How many of you are familiar with that story? Now check this out. John says, this, these, this is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Someone say amen. Really quick, I want to draw your attention to something. And John's gospel is very unique because he doesn't record as many miracles as the rest of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke has way many more miracle accounts than John. John only chose seven. There's a reason for that. Whenever you pay attention to how John writes his gospels, he uses numbers and patterns because he's painting a picture. Right? That's why he begins his gospel with, in the beginning. Why? He wants you to make the connection to what? Genesis 1. And he picks seven miracles because I believe seven is the number of perfection. Everything John does in his gospel is orchestrated intentionally. And John only picks seven miracles. I think he picked his favorite seven. That's just me. But here's what's unique also about John's gospel. He calls the miracles signs. Someone say signs. Now, me and you all know what a sign is. Signs are a part of our life every single day. In fact, signs are so a part of our life, we encounter them and don't think twice about it. You've probably seen a hundred signs on your way to church this morning. Come on, you saw that Burger King sign, the McDonald's sign, the Starbucks sign. You saw, if you're like me, you've lived in Houston all your life, but you still need directions. Is it me or does Houston feel like it gets bigger and bigger and bigger? I still need those signs, okay? I don't know. They keep adding loops. But how many of you know that signs are not the main thing? The sign points to something. In other words, this, the sign is not an end in of itself. A sign is only significant because it points to something. That's why right now the fire marshal, when we built this building, he said, you've got to put exit signs. Why? In case of emergency, people need to know, hey, there's a sign. Here's the exit. 
Or when you're hungry, Burger King puts up a sign because when you're hungry, they want you to see the sign. Why? So you'll pull right in and get that Whopper. Or the double Whopper if you're really hungry. Like I do quite often late at night. Amen. (laughs) Oh, my wife's here. No, I mean, that was in the past. Now I am eating good. Signs are a part of our life every single day. But the point is that the sign is not the point. It's what it's pointing to. And John says that when Jesus did this miracle, he said this was a sign. What is it pointing to? He tells us this. God met Jesus. God in Jesus manifested his glory there. Someone say his glory. Another word for manifest could literally be reveal. So John says this miracle was a sign and it revealed God's glory. Okay, are you tracking with me this morning? John was telling his audience, marvel at the miracle, but pay attention to what the miracle is pointing to. Miracles are one of the ways that God reveals his glory. In other words, miracles are a sign pointing us to the glory of God. It's one of the ways he manifested. But here's what we need to understand. Sometimes when we say glory, we need to ask the question, what do we mean by glory? You know, you know, this would be really fun. One time we need to do a series on a lot of the words that we use that we think we know what they mean. That's, it's actually really fun because how many know we use words all the time and we never actually really stop to think, what does that word mean? So let's dive into Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. Can we talk about God's glory for just a minute? You guys with me? It says this in Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. That I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight and consider this nation. It is your people. And listen to what God tells Moses and Moses. And he said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Come on, that's a promise right there. Then he said, if your, Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us from this place. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight. And listen, God tells me again, I know your name. Can I just stop there for a second? God knows everyone's name because he's God. But what he's telling Moses is, Moses, I know your name in this way, the way that friends know each other. Moses had friendship with God. Friends call each other by what? Names. Moses, I know your name. And he said, Lord, listen to this. Listen to this prayer. Show me your what? 
glory. So the, so the cry of Moses' heart was what? Show me your glory. Remember, Moses has just witnessed all kind of miracles. First of all, let's back up a little bit. Moses experienced a very extraordinary miracle when he's walking in the desert one day and he looks aside and he sees a burning bush and the bush is not being consumed. Right? Then God sends him to Egypt and, and, and Moses watches God send 10 plagues on Egypt. Not only that, then Moses sees God answer the, the prayer of the Hebrew people. He leads them out of Egypt, which in of itself was a miracle. He gets to the Red Sea with all of these people. That he's led out of Egypt and their backs are against the wall. The, the, the Egyptians are coming behind him. And Moses is looking at this ocean and he's saying, what are we going to do? And God splits the sea. Moses has seen miracles. Come on, somebody. He saw some, he saw some miracles that none of us will probably ever get to see. In fact, some of us are going to want to have some conversations in heaven. Moses, what was it like? Right? But the cry of his heart was, show me your glory. Because the miracles pointed to something and Moses started paying attention and he knew that there was something beyond just the miraculous. Are you with me this morning? Verse 19. Then he said, listen to this. Moses says, God, show me your glory. God says, okay. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. My goodness. Someone say my goodness. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So Moses says, show me your glory. He says, okay, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass before you. In other words, God says, if you want to see my glory, the essence of my glory is my goodness. Oh, come on. We're just getting started. His goodness. But he says, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. I love this part. I, 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 this, this right here is what you call a preacher's rabbit hole. I'm going to try. He said, the Lord said, here is a place by me. You have to stand on the rock. Let me just, this is just, this is just a nugget for today. It's not the message. Jesus is on every page of the Bible. If you know where to look, God says, you can see my glory, but you've got to stand on the rock. The rock is a typology of Christ. The rock that he's standing on represents the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is. Says, okay, Moses, you can see my glory, but you got to stand on the rock. Jesus is already showing up. Oh, that just gives me the, I love the word of God and Jesus is everywhere. And he says this, so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand and I will pass by you. 
Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but shall not, but my face shall not be seen. So listen, up there he says, my goodness will pass before you. And then down below he says, when my glory passes before you, right? So in other words, even God in his own conversation uses glory and goodness interchangeably. Are you seeing that? I will cause my goodness to pass before you. Then below he says, when my glory passes before you. In other words, God does not make a distinction between his glory and his goodness. Because when we get to the essence of what God's glory is, the glory is is contained and filled with all of the goodness of God. Okay, now can can I stop here and preach for just a few moments? The goodness of God. See, that's why whenever you pay attention, the word good is ascribed to God all throughout scripture. David said, praise the Lord for he is right. He says this in Acts chapter 10, the moment that Jesus gets anointed, it says that he went about healing all who were oppressed and doing good. Okay, or stick with me. In Luke chapter 18, when the rich young ruler, how many men remember when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus? He says this, he approaches Jesus and says, good teacher, right? And listen to how Jesus responds. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but one, and that is God. Interesting. So he comes and tells Jesus, calls Jesus good teacher. And Jesus stops him and says, why are you calling me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Jesus was not challenging him, calling him a good teacher. He was challenging him on his revelation. In other words, he was saying, am I good or am I God? Because Jesus said, whenever we want to talk about good, there's only one that can hold that title. There's only one that's good, capital G. There's only one person to whom the goodness of the Lord is found, and that's in God himself. So when the man came and said, good teacher, he says, no, 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 I'm not just a good teacher. Why do you call me good? Do you have revelation of who I am? Who do men say that I am? Right? Because the way the glory of the Lord is spoken about in scripture, it is spoken about in many ways. But the way, one of the ways that it manifests is in what we call the goodness of the God. And what do we mean by the goodness of, the, of God? We are, when we say the goodness of his glory, what we are saying, we are talking about his attributes. Someone say his attributes. We are talking about his character. Say character. And we were, we are talking about his very nature. Whenever God's glory is present, what you're actually saying is that all of his goodness, his nature and his character is present. See, we speak of the glory as something that comes apart from God. But the glory of the Lord cannot be disconnected from him. The glory of the Lord, why is it glory? Because it's full of God. It's full of everything that he is. It's full of all of his attributes, all of his character, and all of his nature. It's not just some mist that appears. No, it is, it, it is glory for a reason. It is glory because it is a person. Are you with me this morning? 
I'll explain it this way. I had a friend that had a a very dramatic encounter with God, with Jesus on his uh, deathbed. He had, he had a, he had a heart attack or something happened and they had to do open heart surgery and he was lost at this time, but he actually got saved on the operating table because Jesus came to him in the hospital. And I remember him telling me this story and I remember asking him, I said, Jesus came to you on the operating table. And I said, what was it like? He said, for the first time, I understood what the Bible talks about when it talks about the attributes of God. He said, because when I saw Jesus, I saw all of his attributes radiating from his body. Hold on, hold on. See, we, we can't fathom this because it, it has to be experienced. Words fall short. When you see the Lord. See, what did David mean when he said the Lord is beautiful? He didn't mean the Lord is beautiful like, like he means like a Vogue model or a runway model. When he says the Lord is beautiful, he goes, when you see the Lord in all his goodness, when you see his attributes, when you see the very nature of God, when you see the character of God, his beauty is not superficial. His beauty is not what we call beauty on the earth. His beauty far surpasses what we even have language for. My friend told me, he said this, when Jesus appeared to me, he said, he says, I understand what the Bible meant when it said God is love. He said, because when Jesus showed up, love was radiating from the center of his being. I didn't, he said, somehow I knew what all the attributes were because they were radiating and they were hitting me. Come on, somebody. When God shows up, he brings goodness with him. He brings mercy. He brings grace. He brings love. He brings all of his uniqueness. He brings all that he is. You see, that's why we can't handle God's glory because we don't, space doesn't even have the capacity to contain it. If God were were to step in this place with all of his glory, we wouldn't even have anywhere to put all of his goodness. There would be too much goodness to fit into this room. That's why when God's glory shows up, the room feels like the air goes thin and it feels like you could, it just feels different because his glory takes up space. His glory fills a place. That's why when his presence shows up and you start feeling peace, you start getting healed. What, what is happening? God is manifesting himself. Oh, I'm the, I just love the Lord. I'm sorry. I don't know if you're getting blessed. I'm getting blessed just talking about him. And so the goodness of God, it's inexhaustible. It's unimaginable. It's uncomprehendable. And I love what Bill Johnson says. We can't comprehend his goodness, but we can experience it. That's how you learn about it. How many of you, how many of you have been there? You, you, you're like David. You say, I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. You see, because I can talk to you about the goodness of God, right? Like I can talk to you, let's just say about Bluebell. I can say, bro, bro if you haven't had Bluebell ice cream, you haven't had ice cream. And I can try to explain it to you. But unless you go 
after church and go by H-E-B and get a tub of bluebell ice cream, some pecan bluebell ice cream, some Oreo cookie bluebell ice cream. If you've never tasted bluebell ice cream, I can't explain it to you. All I can tell you is that once you've tasted bluebell, you don't want anything else. It's the same with the goodness of God. I can, ex- I can try to describe it to you. I can try to explain it to you. It's something that you have to taste for yourself. And so God's goodness is not only learned about, it's not only read about in the scripture, it's something that you can experience. And you know what I love? If you were here on October 27th, when we did that worship night, how many of you were here? Wave at me. Or if you watched online throughout the night of that worship encounter, we shared testimonies from a revival that that took place in 1996. How many of you saw some of those testimonies? You, 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 you. If you paid attention to the stories, Pastor Anthony, he's sitting right here. He was there that morning. Pastor Jerry, Pastor Pace, who they interviewed, Pastor Tracy and James, all the pastors that were there. I I was there, but I was seven years old. I, I, I do remember, I do have vivid memories of it. But when you listen to their stories, when you listen to Pastor Heard, you'll hear them talk about the deaf ears and the blind eyes that opened. Or the testimony of the anorexia anorexia healed, HIV healed, all the different things that were healed. But you'll notice, I was watching some of their, their testimonies. As they would talk about the miracle, they began to cry. And if you pay attention, and you've experienced this too, if you've seen the wonders of God. If you lean into them. It's not the wonders that are the most impressive. The miracles are impressive. Don't get me wrong. It's cool when you see a blind eye open. It's cool when you see a deaf ear open. Come on, somebody. But if you lean in and you heard their stories, you realize they, through the miracle, they encountered a depth of God that they hadn't been to before. Because a miracle is a sign. It points to a dimension beyond the miracle. What they, what you really hear when you hear their testimonies, what they tasted of that day on October was God's goodness showed up in the room and they saw miracles, but there's tears in the eyes, not just because of the miracles, but because they tasted a dimension of God they had never seen before. They saw an aspect, they saw a dimension of God that went beyond just a miracle. Amen. The same thing about Moses. You see, we talk about David being a worshiper. I want to suggest to you that when we speak about worshipers in the Bible, Moses should be right up there with David because make no mistake. Moses was a God chaser. He said, God, show me your glory. Because see, Moses had seen the miracles and all of the wonders. He saw all of the miracles that Israel saw. But but for Moses, Moses was not satisfied with just seeing the miracle. Are you with me this morning? 
Moses had a hunch there's something more. This mir- these miracles are pointing to something. They're pointing to a God that I want to know. They're pointing to a God that's bigger than anything I've ever experienced. It's pointing to a God that's better than I could ever imagine. And that's why in Psalms 103 verse 7, it says, He made his ways known to Moses, but Israel knew his acts. Did you see that? He made his ways known to Moses. The children of Israel knew his acts. In other words, Israel saw the miracles, but Moses knew the miracle worker. And do you want to know something? If you pay attention to the storyline, that was, that was the, the thing that made the difference. Israel... Went from miracle to miracle to miracle. But they were slow to get the revelation that God was trying to give them. Are you catching this this morning? That's why. See, some of us think if we see a miracle. Oh, if I see a miracle, I'll love God more. If I see a miracle, I'll have more faith. If I see a miracle, I'll believe more. Well, maybe. Because Israel saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And God said, you know what? You're stiff necked. How many, how many people saw Jesus do a miracle in his day and turned away from him? In fact, the Pharisees went so, so far to say he does miracles with the help of demons. Jesus heals 10 lepers. One comes back because sometimes when the miracle is the end goal, after you get the miracle, you say, okay, bye. See you later. And, 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 and that's where you can even get trapped and you're only as good as your next miracle or only as good as your next breakthrough. But there's a, but, but see what Moses had was more. Moses said, I love the miracles. I'll take the miracles. But what I want more than the miracles, I want what the miracles point to. I want what the miracles represent. I want the relationship where I'm not okay with just knowing the wonders of God or the acts of God because there was a generation of, of Israelites that died in the wilderness that saw way more miracles than you or I will probably ever see. It's not the miracles in and of themselves that's the end goal. It's what they point to. Mm-mm-mm. And so what Moses did, Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God revealed his goodness. And see, what happens is this. Moses comes up from that place. And you know, the goodness of God actually caused Moses' countenance to change. Remember that? He had to put a bag over his head. And from that day forward, he was never the same. If, if all we know are the miracles of God, but not the goodness of God, right? Then all we're left with is we're only as good as the circumstance. But if I have a revelation of the goodness of God, my trust is in that goodness. That means no matter what the circumstance looks like, I don't only know that God can do miracles. I know the miracle worker. I've spent some time with him. 
I know his attributes. I've got a glimpse of his character and I know his nature. My trust is not just in the miracle. My trust is in the goodness of God. Are you tracking with me this morning? You see, because whenever you're facing, facing circumstances, you got to put your trust in something. And let me tell you this prayer works. Amen. But there's only one reason prayer works is because God's good enough to answer prayer. So ultimately your trust is not in your ability to pray. Your trust is in the goodness of God that when you pray, he hears you. Your trust is not going to be in your own righteousness. Your trust is going to be in his goodness. Your trust is not going to be, oh, I'm going to get a miracle because I got a secret formula that no one else knows about. That's not why you're going to get a miracle. You're going to get a miracle because you have a revelation of the goodness of God. And here's, you get to a place place with, 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 with having a revelation of the goodness of God, you say, God, I, I know you're good and I trust you to do a miracle. But even if you don't do a miracle, you're still good. You, you know why that's powerful? Because even when things don't go your way, you won't fall to the wayside because if your revelation is only tied up in God doing a miracle, then you're, then if the circumstance goes bad, you give, you fall to the wayside. But if you're anchored in the goodness of God, you can say, come what may, whether God opens the sea or not, if whether he makes a way or not, he's still good. That's why Job got to the place where he say, though he slay me, he's still good. I'm still going to trust the Lord. He said this, even if he takes my life, Job said, he's still good. The three Hebrew boys went into the fire and they said, we know God is able, but guess what they said? Even if he doesn't take us out of the fire, he's still good. Because when you have a revelation of the goodness of God, you understand two things. Either God is going to work a miracle or he's going to work it to your good. Somebody, when you have a revelation of the goodness of God, you understand that when you come to a hard place, either God is going to do a miracle and he does do miracles or God is going to work it to your good. That's why it says in Romans chapter eight, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That means this, even when God doesn't do what I think he should do or what I want him to do, God promised he's going to work it to his good for our good, right? Why? Because he's good. Can I tell you something? God is good. And you know what? He does good. He doesn't know how to not be good. That means that even when he says no, he's being good. Even when he says, I'm not going to answer that prayer because I got something over here for you. He does that because he's good. Sometimes you get to a place and you need a miracle. He goes, you know what? I could do a miracle, but I'm going to let you go through this. Why? Because I'm working in you. And you know why he does that? Because he's good. Here's what I'm saying. No matter what God is doing, he's doing it because he's good. And when you can learn to trust in his goodness... You see, because when you are, have a revelation of the goodness of God, you can trust his heart when you can't see his hands. I'm going to say that one more time. 
when you have a revelation of the goodness of God, you can trust his heart even when you can't see his hands. Because you know that somehow, some way, God is working things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And guess what? And then, you know what he does sometimes? Sometimes he's working it for your good or orchestrating it for your good. And sometimes he just shows up and flat out does a miracle. Why? Because he's good. Someone say God is able. But we don't want to be like Israel and just experience the miraculous. We want to be like Moses experiencing the miracles, but encountering the glory of his goodness. We want to have encounters with God based upon the goodness of God in our lives that are pointing to his goodness. Amen. And you know what? That may, that actually that that part right there may be the number one reason why we don't see more miracles. Because we know God can do miracles. But we don't believe that he's good enough to do them. Did you hear what I said? We know God can do miracles, but we don't believe he'll be good enough to us to do them. See, it's not what you know, it's what you believe. And I'll tell you, what I've come to believe is that the more of God's goodness I've seen, the more I'm persuaded that he's faithful. It's not what I know intellectually that empowers me. It's what God has revealed to me through circumstances, through lives, through trials, through, through situations. It's what I've seen. I've seen the goodness of God. I've seen it with my eyes. And it's because I've seen it. I believe he can do it because he's done it before. I don't want to be a Christian that knows God can do miracles. I want to be a Christian that believes he's good enough to do them. That he's that that actually God wants to do good. Amen. And so I, I, I want to speak this scripture over you and I'm, and I'm closing. Psalm 27, verse 13. This is what David says. I would have lost heart unless I what had what believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He didn't say I would have lost heart unless I would have known. He said, I would have lost heart unless I believed. See, you know with your mind, you believe with your heart. He said, I believe with all of my heart. I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You're talking about a man who's been through the fire. You're talking about, you're reading a man who's been through trials. You're speaking to a man who's walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And he has seen the goodness of God. And I want to ask you in this season, are you walking through the difficulties of life, through the challenging circumstances that we're all walking through in this world? Are you walking through this with a promise in your heart that you're going to see the goodness of God in your life? 
Because you should. As a matter of fact, I, I, I encouraged the service earlier. If I was you, I would write down Psalm chapter 27, verse 13, put it on an index card, put it in your, on your dashboard or on your fridge on one of those magnets. I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I'm going to see his goodness, God's glory manifested in my life. Amen. And I'm here to declare to you as I'm closing. God is still working miracles. Did you hear me today? I listen, God is still throwing mountains down. God is still splitting seas. God is still healing bodies. God is still sending provision like he did with Elijah when he sent those ravens to the brook. God can still mend families and mend broken hearts and bring reconciliation. God still does miracles. And I want to tell you something. It's not because you pray the right prayer or because you're righteous or because you're so good. Ultimately, it's because he's so good.